Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Good morning, White Sox fans. I'm Jim Margulis, and this is your White Sox wake-up call for April 28th, 2021. The White Sox lost 5-2 to the Tigers last night, and you can pin most of it on the players. The White Sox could only score two runs, even with the help of five Detroit errors. In fact, both runs scored on errors. The Sox lineup went 0-13 with runners in scoring position and stranded nine, thanks in part to four double plays. Jose Ureña exacerbated the Sox issues getting the ball in the air with 15 ground outs. The White Sox were without Luis Robert, who went on the COVID-19 injured list with an illness everybody hopes is unrelated. So there are plenty of reasons to crumple up this one, throw it in the garbage can, and look at starting another four-game winning streak tonight. But despite all the deficiencies at the plate, the White Sox still led this one 2-1 after six strong innings from Lucas Giolito. They might not have deserved to win it, but they had a path to victory. Instead, Tony Larusa and his players spent the last three innings pretty much getting what they deserved. Let's start with Larusa's choice to let Giolito face six batters in the seventh inning, which was at least three batters too long. Giolito had allowed just one run on three hits and a walk over the first six, but the seventh started with an eight-pitch walk to Willie Castro and then a nine-pitch battle with Akil Badu that resulted in a flyout. Detroit's hitters were seeing him a little bit better, and his stuff lost its sharpness as he crossed the 100-pitch mark. That was probably the optimal place to pull him. But a lot of managers might wait until a Tiger squared him up before going to the bullpen, and unfortunately Wilson Ramos did, rifling a misplaced fastball to the right-center gap that tied the game at two. Still, Giolito stayed in the game, and on his next pitch, he gave up a homer to Nico Goodrum, one that bounced off the top of the wall as Adam Eaton hit the ground. Eaton fell three different times over the course of the game with what looked like some sort of trick knee, and Elite might have helped. Nevertheless, Detroit led 4-2, and Giolito was still in the game. He faced Jacoby Jones, whose 101-mile-per-hour drive was directed towards the part of the park where 388 feet doesn't get the job done, and that was the second out. But then Giolito faced Robbie Grossman for a fourth time and walked him on four pitches, and that's when Tony LaRussa decided to pull the plug. It wasn't a case of Giolito demanding to remain in the game, because he told reporters afterwards that his tank was empty, and LaRussa faulted himself for not realizing it. But that wasn't the only mistake. Tim Anderson led off the bottom of the seventh with a walk, then got caught trying to steal second with the heart of the order coming to the plate, which meant that neither Juan Moncada nor Jose Abreu could come to the plate representing the tying run. And that wasn't it. 
Even though Matt Foster gave up a solo shot in the top of the eighth, the White Sox once again brought the tying run to the plate in the bottom of that inning after a Yermin Mercedes single and a Yasmani Grandal walk. Billy Hamilton and Leori Garcia were next, but neither had a bet. With Zach Collins and Andrew Vaughn on the bench, you have two guys who were a threat to both tie the game and keep the line moving. They also had Luis Gonzalez on the bench to play center afterward, and with Vaughn taking over and left, it wouldn't have been an optimal defensive arrangement, but nobody would have been out of position either. Instead, Hamilton hit for himself and struck out. Then Garcia hit for himself and struck out. The White Sox went down in order in the ninth, and so all the promising bullets on the bench remained unused. LaRusso's reasoning, he was looking for a single. I, I don't get it either. I mean, if he were talking about Nick Madrigal, somebody who is better than average at avoiding outs, sure. But Hamilton came into the game batting 231 and Garcia 170, and both are within their histories. It doesn't make sense, and it won't make sense. There's a reason why both have been primarily used as defensive replacements when leading. In fact, that's how Hamilton entered this game in place of Jake Lamb. So simple reverse engineering suggests they need offensive caddies when they're trailing. Instead, the White Sox are now 12-10, and 10, which is still fine. It's just that they're now 11-4 and 4 when leading after six innings, which means they've already used up more than half of the typical allotment of blown leads before the end of the first month. That's what's worrisome, and now you have Giolito trying to bounce back from a rough exit for a second consecutive start, which doesn't help matters either. Anyway, the White Sox will try to rebound as a whole tonight behind Carlos Rodon, who faces former first overall pick Casey Mize. The White Sox saw Mize twice last year, and both times he handcuffed the Sox early, only for them to figure him out as the game hit the halfway mark. Mize has the advantage of facing a team that still isn't great against right-handed pitching, although that's partially because La Russa lets Garcia and Hamilton hit for themselves when the righties are on the mound. Here's hoping Robert is eligible to return sooner rather than later. First pitch is at 7.10 p.m. Central on NBC Sports Chicago. Around the league, we'll start in the Central, where the White Sox missed an opportunity to gain a game on the Royals, who were held to four hits in a 2-1 loss to Pittsburgh. Glass half full, the White Sox didn't lose a game, so they remained two back. Also glass half full, the White Sox could be the Twins. Minnesota lost its fourth straight game, this one to Cleveland by a score of 7-4, but it's how they lost it. Kenta Maeda was staked to a 2-0 lead and lost it within two innings, and Alex Colome, whom Rocco Baldelli has demoted to lower leverage work after a cluster of blown saves, allowed two runs on three walks and a hit-by-pitch in the eighth inning. The Twins are now 7-15. The Yankees are showing the Twins how a team with high expectations can dust itself off. They're now up to 10-13 after beating Baltimore 5-1 behind Corey Kluber's best start outside of Cleveland. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. clobbered three homers and drove in seven in Toronto's 9-5 victory over Washington. Jose Quintana is still out of sorts, giving up five runs over three and a third innings and taking the loss in the Angels' 5-1 defeat at the hands of the Rangers. His ERA rose to 10-13. His former team, the Cubs, were blinked by the Braves 5-0 behind seven innings of one-hit ball by Shenandoah's Ian Anderson. A couple of notable transactions, we'd previously discussed New York's Mike Talkman as a possible extra left-handed outfielder for the White Sox to consider. Instead, the Yankees dealt him to San Francisco for lefty reliever Wandy Peralta. Talkman will get some reps because the Giants placed Mike Yastrzemski on the injured list with an oblique strain. In other injury news, the Cardinals placed Yadier Molina on the injured list with a right foot tendon strain, which is interrupting a blazing start for the future Hall of Famer. That'll do it for this edition of the White Sox Wake Up Call. Visit SoxMachine.com to talk about the game, and later in the morning, I'll probably still be talking about the game. It was that rough. If you're new to the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to us wherever podcasts are found. And if you'd like to support the site and the show, you can do so at Patreon.com slash Sox Machine. For as little as $2 a month, you can get an ad-free version of everything. 
Thanks for listening to the Sox Machine Podcast. For SoxMachine.com, I'm Jim Margulis. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.